Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today on the podcast, we're joined again very kindly by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to be back. So as usual, we have a few stocks that we're going to discuss. There's some very interesting updates from those. But before we do that, I think it would be appropriate, Alan, given the backdrop of markets today, we've had the, the US election debate last night, and we're seeing a bit of weakness across the uh, the markets, particularly coming from the United States. Now, of course, if anybody's sort of caught the news so far, it's quite an ugly event in terms of the debates. There was a lot of insults thrown backwards and forwards, but we'll, we'll look past that and, and look towards the markets going forward and, and, and what potential outcomes we could see. Now, of course, it's still a fair way away and things can change, but Biden's ahead in the polls at the moment, Alan. If he was to take the, the White House, what would you see as an immediate reaction in markets? I mean, there's two main factors here. There's obviously the tax implications. He's looking at rolling back some of the, the measures that Trump put in. And that, of course, caused um, a, a very sharp rally in, in equity markets. So that, that could uh, see a bit of an unwind. But on the other hand, um, Trump's had an ongoing war with China, which, which looks like uh, the tensions there could ease it if Biden gets in. Which one do you think would, would play out and, and really sort of move markets the most? That's a, that's, a, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? I, I mean, at the moment, um, I'm just looking at uh, futures as we talk, as we speak, and uh, the Dow is marked down half a percent, as is the Nasdaq. But um, yeah, in, in all honesty, it's really hard to call because Trump is Trump has brought such a dare I say unique style to the U.S. presidency. He's done stuff that no other U.S. president in history has done. And um, although, frankly, I can't stand looking at the bloke and uh, and uh, you know watching him sort of um, uh, you know watching him in his tirades and his outbursts, uh, there's no doubt that he resonates very much with the the um, the, the heartland of America. And, uh, and and the voting or, and the electorate there. Um, but yes, you're right. I mean, Biden would be, he's trying to gain popularity by offering uh, a, a swathes of tax cuts and also undoing a lot of what Trump has, Trump has already done. Um, so his international policy, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's basically, uh, you know, saber rattling with China um, over the, over the tariffs um, and, 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 and trade restrictions. Um, if Biden lifts those, clearly that will uh, boost international markets. But really, it's going to be a seesaw. I, I, I don't think at the moment it's really, it's it will go too much either way. I think um, that there's also a degree or a modicum of respect for Trump as a businessman as well. Although, of course, the his opponents are trying to discredit him. You know, with the uh, bring up the the uh, the amount of tax, of course, he paid over the. Over the past years, uh, allegedly seven hundred and fifty dollars, which uh, you know, I mean, Christ, crikey, I, I, I'd love, I'd love a tax bill that low, but um, as but, would I. <laughs> so, 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 but, but of course, all, all of this is, you know, all's fair in, um, in, in love and war, in, in, uh, 
in election territory. So um, it, it's a very hard one to call. Um, I, I, I don't think uh, currently there'll be too much of a swing in the markets either way. I think Trump has been so extreme, the markets have gone with it. And if Biden brings a slightly more conservative approach back to the markets, I think it'll be appreciated. But, um, uh, you know, perhaps uh, perhaps the markets will lose some of their bullishness that they've had. So I still think with Trump at the head, it, it'll probably marginally, we'd get a marginally better reaction from stock markets if Trump does get through. Okay, and, and another million-dollar question here, Alan. Very interesting insight there on the US elections. For investors based in the UK, a portfolio of shares that are predominantly focused on uh, large-cap UK-listed equities, is the US elections a bigger factor for them going forward, or is it still Brexit um, that could be driving the returns of equities going into the year end? Uh, well, for the, uh, I mean, the UK index, um, you know, the uh, is made up of uh, the majority, uh, it's represented by majority dollar earners. So um, absolutely, the US elections is the biggest factor. Um, but as I've just said, I think, um, I think at the moment, it's, it's, it's pretty well, it's fairly balanced sort of both ways. So I don't see too much of a difference in that. Uh, yeah, I mean, Brexit, of course, will have a will have a factor on some of the more domestically focused stocks that uh, are uh, trading uh, predominantly in sterling. But for dollar earners, it's um, it's it, you know that's the key the key focus. And of course, um, you know, uh, strengthening the dollar is is always good. Fantastic. So I'm sure this is going to be something that we do discuss again going forward in the UK Invest Magazine podcast because I'm sure that we will see volatility start to creep in. In equity markets, as we as we move towards this uh, date, and potentially there's going to be some opportunities there. So, something that we'll cover again. But we've got three stocks that we're going to discuss today, Alan. And the first one is one that we have discussed before in uh, in in some detail. But uh, that that was some time ago now, and there's there's been quite a lot of uh, changes there at the at the company operationally. So this is Open Orphan. They've had their results today and what do they look like well open often have had a, a fantastic run this year um uh, in many ways um it was the acquisition of h vivo in january that um that made the company and uh, really um with the with the sudden uh, proliferation of um of uh, of covid of course the quarantine center which was uh, you know it it had it was booked up, but uh, there were there was plenty of availability. Um, ever since COVID, um, it's been fully booked, and it's booked now. Um, I think well over a year a year ahead for all of the um, the testing that's taking place, not just in COVID, but also with flu testing and also uh, human clinical trials with some of the other uh, um, some of the other projects the company's working on. So Open Orphan are a contract research organisation primarily. Um, they earn money from, let's um, say, H Vivo, which uh, which of course has the quarantine center. Um, and then Life Sciences is principally the contract research uh, um, um, operation within the group, and it sort of works with uh, leading pharmaceutical companies like Epson Pharma. But um, all the way through, there the, 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 there has been um, literally one contract win after the other this year, um, and the share price for Open Orphan popped up to. 
19 pence last last uh, week on the back of news that, um, uh, well, in fact, uh, Open Orphan issued a statement saying that uh, it was in the <clears throat> it was in the running for a uh, for a COVID testing contract with the UK government. Uh, revenue is expected to be in the region of uh, seven million plus, um, and obviously it would update the market in due course. Then on Monday, there's another four and a half million contract win with um, with uh, a leading pharma pharmaceutical research company. Um, and then today, of course, we have we have the uh, the numbers announced, um, and uh, and and you know I think I think we're getting some idea of where the company is going. But what you know, one of the key drivers behind the company, as much as anything else, has been the executive chairman Carl Friel, who um, laid out a clear plan for the group. And indeed, in the announcements today, he said, since we acquired HPEVO in January, we've achieved what we set out to do. Um, there, the company is now a truly unique clinical research organization, um, and it's the world leader in the testing of vaccines and antivirals through the use of human challenge clinical trials, which are, of course, conducted at the at the HVivo quarantine center. So this is a, a very complete company with a very um, broad offering, which is rapidly gaining a reputation globally as the go-to company for uh, human research, human challenge clinical trials, and and that's that's very important. You know, the, the company currently, uh, obviously, with the increase in share price, the value's gone up. We currently got a valuation of one hundred twenty-four million, um, but um, I, I'm just going to do a comparison here because. In my opinion, I believe this has got an awful long way to go in terms of valuation. And we've seen today, of course, um, in the results announcements, um, the company's still got 14 or just under 15 million cash at the year end. Um, in the first half of this year, there were revenues of 7.1 million with an EBITDA loss of 4 million, uh, just over 4 million. Now, with the contracts it's already signed this year, um, I think the the second half numbers are going to be hugely significant and uh, uh, should impact hugely and give a give a much uh, and and transform the company in terms of the, of the revenue it brings in. Uh, Cal Friel also said that um, when he uh, when they completed the HVivo merger that he was aiming to bring the company to operational profitability within this year. And he's, the company said today in the announcements that the that Open Orphan is on course to deliver operational profitability in quarter four of this year. Now, this that makes fascinating reading for a number of reasons. Um, I've used this comparison before, but I think it's key because, of course, Open Orphan currently are just uh, listed on, on the UK markets. Um, uh, they don't have a dual listing. Um, but as we know, pharmaceutical companies that are dual listed usually trade on a much higher multiple. And one of the companies um, uh, with whom uh, uh, Open Orphan are working is Quotient, which is listed on the NASDAQ. Um, and I'm just going to quote some numbers here. Um, in, in its, over its last year, the company generated full year revenues of $31 million. Okay. And it made a loss on that year. Um, it's got a, a market capitalization on NASDAQ of $665 million. Open Orphan looks set to deliver numbers well in excess of that. And if it delivers operational profitability during the last half of the year, then in my opinion, a market capitalization of $124 million will be, it won't be at this level for too long. I think this company's got a fantastic future and it's doing all the right things. And also, as Carl Friel said in the 
results today. Um, they are in a market now with human clinical trials, which is going to be the market over the next decade. So um, it, it's already the go-to company. So I think this is, you know, this, well, uh, should I stick my neck out and, neck out and say this, this could be a FTSE 100 company further down the road? Uh, maybe that's a little too far-fetched at this moment in time, but certainly the the, the potential for growth expansion here, I believe, is absolutely huge. Okay, so I mean, Alan, when we're looking at this company, it's it's revenue obviously seven million for the first half of the year. Yeah. Has there been any indication or guidance of what that could look like going into the second half? Because I mean, this is a company that you know it's obviously dealing with clinical trials, but it's not itself an, an, an R and D company. It's one that is taking in uh, revenues. Right. Yeah. What what are we sort of looking at in terms of indications what uh, what revenue would look like? Because there's obviously this loss here, and there, and there will be a concern that there needs to be further capital raising, which would, of course, uh, potentially uh, dilute any existing shareholders. Do you think, or is there any uh, signs that, that these contract wins could provide the, the cover um, of, of that loss? So we start to see sort of break-even going forward on an EBITDA basis? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, during the first half of the year, uh, the company announced a three and a half million contract with a major European biotech. This is in addition to the contract wins that uh, I, I mentioned both last Friday and on, on Monday this week. Uh, three and a half million contract win with an anticipated seven million follow-on study. Another 3.7 million contract win with a US biotech company. And a raft of partnerships. And also, let's not forget that HVivo already bought 15 million turnover. It was loss-making, but it was already turning over 15 million when the company was acquired. So I believe that, uh, we, I mean, I, I, I won't hazard a guess as to what the revenues will be. Um, all I will say is that, um, you know, even if the company delivers uh, delivers uh, revenues uh, of the equivalent uh, order of 31 million like Quotient does, and it delivers, it starts to do reach operational profitability on that, then that alone warrants, in my opinion, a significant re-rating for Open Orphan. And, you know, certainly if you look at the contract wins today, you look at the, the, the announcements over the year and what the company's achieved this year, I think there's every every sign there that we are going to see a substantial hike in revenues on the full year when when, when those are announced, um, obviously early early in 2021. Indeed, so that, that's an exciting story there, and I'm sure one that we'll uh, we'll touch again if there's any um, interim uh, data that, that's worth looking at. So, mo- moving on now, Alan, we're going to look at one that is a an interesting gold company in Eris Resources. Now, maybe one that some investors haven't heard of, but they've got a number of interesting projects, but there's been a major development today, Alan. What does that look like? Well, Eris Resources uh, is interesting. Yeah, as you rightly say, it's um, it's uh, we had a reputation up to today, but that's all going to change um, as, a, as a gold company. Um, and, uh, you know, the company's got a minuscule market cap of 2.3 million. Um, shares are currently trading, or they were trading at suspension at... Uh, 6p, um, been a size 9.5p on the year and as low as 2.2p. Um, so the Locte 
the the uh, the flagship prospect was the Lockte Gold and Base Metals pro, uh, prospect in at Lockte in Scotland. Um, uh, the the area uh, the Lockte is a highly prospective um uh, 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 Tennessee uh, with a minimum inferred resource of 250,000 ounces of gold um mineralization's been confirmed um and drilling prospects uh, identified in an area some 3 kilometers square however this morning um and also I've just briefly touched on the other prospects there are licenses in Abbeytown and Galway these are these are uh, the, the Abbey Town is an old lead. It's a brownfield site on an old lead and silver mine. Galway, there are 18 prospecting licenses in a proven zinc mining region close to the Tyner mine, um, and also prospects in Sweden and Norway. Um, but again, these uh, will be put on care and maintenance by the company in light of today's announcement, which is that it is to acquire 50% of Deutsche Lithium the owner of the Zinwald Lithium Project, which is in southeastern Germany. Um, now, um, the company also announced uh, the results today, which really are academic, but uh, delivered an operating loss of, of 400,000 euros on the year. But um, with the existing projects, it has net assets of 3.4 million euros and cash of 1.3 million at the bank. Um, but Zinvold is, um, it, it of course, is uh, uh, half owned by Bacchanor Lithium, um, and uh, it's the, it's making the acquisition from Bacchanora, um, and uh, the the uh, the Zinvold Lithium project. With I've also, of course, spoken previously about uh, uh, Europe uh, about um, European Metals Holdings, which uh, owns the Sinovec Lithium project. This is in all in the. Uh, the same region, although the uh, the Sinovet lithium project is just across the border in Czechoslovakia, um, but uh, it's already undertaken a, uh, a feasibility study in 2019, um, and the feasibility study has a discounted net present value of 428 million euros, um, with an annual EBITDA estimated to be at 58 and a half million. So this is actually a huge opportunity. For Eris, um, and of course, uh, uh, it puts the company on a completely different footing in terms of its uh, of its uh, its uh, core operations um, and, and others. And I would suspect that as we go forward, once the once the shares are relisted, um, I uh, I imagine there'll be a name change. And uh, of course, the company also said today that the Lotte Gold venture um, would be spun out to existing shareholders. Uh, in the form of a company called Eris Gold, so so again, um, it's uh, it's shed its skin. It's now become a lithium company, but this is uh, this is a key a key a key project within the heartland of Germany, which of course will be um, powering uh, uh, the European battery metals industry, and that will of course be electric vehicles. So it'll feed the European. Motor manufacturers such as BMW, Mercedes, um, Volvo, and also the French manufacturers too. So, yeah, it, it's a big change for the company. But if you've got shares, then I think you're in for an exciting ride once the company shares return from suspension. Fantastic. So, obviously, some, some very interesting uh, changes there for for Eris. And I think that's probably one that we should revisit um, when, when we see those shares start trading again on exchanges so to, to finish off alan again there's one that we have uh, discussed before but but one that's had 
a very steady news flow, and that's tertiary. Yep. What's been the latest update from them? Okay, so Tertiary Minerals uh, this morning announced uh, an update on the the uh, the range of uh, 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 precious and base metals project it's operating in in Nevada in the USA. Um, now, I should say at this point that uh, Tertiary is, is a well-funded company, has plenty of money at the bank, and it trades on a tiny market cap of just two million sterling at present. So. Um, the, the the company today, um, or historically, the company has been uh, uh, known as a fluor spar company. And fluor spar is, of course, um, a critical raw material used in a multitude of processes, including uh, the uh, smelting of steel, um, also in the optics industry, and and a range of of other applications. Um, so tertiary had three uh, three fluor spar projects um the mb prospect in nevada um uh, the company said today that uh, the metallurgical testing was unsuccessful so it had decided to relinquish the lease on that in order to focus on its precious and base metals project which uh, you know i think is a good decision um the company does have uh, two other um fluor spa uh, 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 projects uh, the storman project in sweden and lasadalen but those are very much just on care and maintenance and um uh, obviously that those are assets nonetheless and may well be developed uh, should the time should the opportunity arise in the future but the company said today that it's uh, had um, uh, developed, or, or there were a number of developments on its uh, projects. So we've got uh, some fantastic names here for you. The Pegleg Copper, um, uh, Silver, Lead and Zinc project, and also the Paymaster uh, Copper, Silver, Lead and Zinc project. Um, the, the company is uh, this week going to undertake a series of drone magnetic surveys. And of course, this provides imaging, um, provides information on the underlying geology and the uh, the, 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 the trends. Uh, and, and of course, this helps the company identify drill targets to to then progress the progress the, the, the project going forward. Um, there is also the uh, the Mount Toby Silver Prospect and Tertiaries has actually completed a drone survey at Mount Tobin and will now undertake a soil sampling program to confirm what the 3D imaging is is telling the company um, and that will help it define drill targets to then progress the project. Um, we also heard a lot more earlier in the year about the Pyramid Gold project. Um, of course, gold is, uh, well, gold and silver are very much the, the metals to be in at the moment. Um, given the uh, given the uh, the uh, the uh, impact on fiat currencies around the world from the the, the easing that's taking place, um, and uh, the Pyramid Gold project, um, the, the company is set to undertake soil sampling um, in the next few weeks uh, uh, in order to extend and confirm the the uh, the historic uh, gold and soil anomalies to help it uh, complete. Uh, 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 drill targeting again. So a raft of activities um, and any data that comes back from that clearly is going to uh, have, uh, I believe, a significant impact on the share price given that we we are where we are. But it's often the way with small mining companies. They, they will, they'll trade at uh, less than asset value uh, for years. And then when there is a significant move or possibly interest in a farming or, um, or a joint venture, then of course the the, uh, the share price leaps to reflect the the, uh, the additional value. So exciting times for tertiary, um, and I think uh, there'll be a lot more to hear 
from the company in the coming weeks. So I'm looking at the share price here, and it, and it has been ranging for 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 some time. And, and, and you have alluded to there that, that these companies can trade sideways until there is a major catalyst to see them break uh, break out of that range. Full tertiary, what what do you see that being? Is it, is it going to be a major discovery? Is it going to be a agreement with another company to, to come in? What what are shareholders, um, what do they have to be looking for, for for tertiary going forward? Well, we're in exciting times at the moment. And, and of course, with the, uh, I, I, I alluded briefly to the, to um, the issues on uh, quantitative easing and, and mon- you know uh, uh, monetary stimulus measures, which of course um, are being employed uh, in huge amounts by governments around the world in order to support furlough schemes, uh, to support uh, businesses that are failing because of the impact of COVID, um, and of course all of this is in effect. It means that more money is having to uh, go into the system, which is devaluing. The, the individual currency units. So that in times like this, we see a we'll, we'll see a, a rush by investors to get involved into tangible commodities such as uh, gold, silver, and then copper, iron ore. There's a there's a whole raft, raft of stuff. And um, what that what that means is, um, of course, the when the prices start to rise, and we've seen a spectacular rise in gold and silver this year. Um, there are lots of dormant little projects around the world um, which uh, have hitherto been considered uneconomical to develop or look at. And of course, once the price starts to rise, all that changes. Um, And Tertiary has cleverly got itself uh, not just one project, but a range of projects all in the same region. So it's got economies of scale, if you like. It can take the the drilling rigs and take the, the survey team just driving down the well down the road. It's uh, obviously Nevada is a huge place, but uh, it can it can take them to the next site without uh, too much delay. So um, it just means that uh, these projects, um, uh, any any development or movement uh, on these projects, um, I think uh, if there is significant soil, uh, if the soil sampling reveals significant amounts of gold, say at Pyramid. Then, of course, the next stage is drilling. And then at that point, is it feasible to build a mine? Who's going to help us do that? Well, the hay presto, they're in the Walker Lane gold belt, which um, historically you've got the Battle Mine, you've got many other gold mines in the region. So there will be plenty of companies on hand to come in and, and make an offer for that. And it's at that point that you see, you'll see the share price of tertiary explode into life, you know, and uh, clearly, you know, a 2 million valuation could become a 20 million valuation very quickly indeed but of course all that has to happen first fantastic alan very, very well explained and thank you and i'm sure the listeners will find that interesting um on on tertiary so that's the uk investor magazine podcast for this week alan thank you very much for joining the podcast today thanks again jonathan so if um, if anyone subscribed to the UK Investor Magazine newsletter list, you probably would have seen some emails about the upcoming virtual investor conference on the 20th of October. Alan will be joining um, us there um, among many other speakers. So, Alan, look forward to uh, to having you then. Looking forward to that, Jonathan. Yeah, it should be a good. It should be a good event. Uh, lots of very good speakers. So if, if anybody's not signed up, we'll put a link in the notes to this podcast. And, of course, check out the, uh, the website. There'll be some adverts for it there. And, of course, within the, uh, 
the UK Investor Magazine newsletter. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.